The following conversation is a recording of a live literary disco show at CT Improv in Hartford back in March. Enjoy. I guess Dodd is recording. Yeah, I just realized, oh, this is a show. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to put this online. We're going to call this episode CT. Okay. Uh, I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey! How's everybody doing? <laughs> Can I, guys, before we start, if this is going to be like a real show, can I just tell y'all something very important? I got a puppy. To, I got a puppy today. Oh no! <laughs> Here's the awkward thing. Don't don't tell anyone about this because it's a little weird. We named her after one of the guests tonight, <laughs> so I don't want Gracie the dog to get upset when I when she finds out about Grace from the New York Public Library. It's going to be weird. Wait. You mean Gwen? Gwen. Oh, <laughs> oh fuck. Thank God. Strong start. Yeah. Oh my God. That's off to a great start. I totally thought her name was Grace for a second. Oh my God. You are you are puppy brainwashed. I totally am. All right, but the puppy is adorable. And um, I'm not gonna sleep again for like uh I don't know, six months. So I'm pretty excited about this having having literary disco back. It gives me something to listen to at night to put me to sleep. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I love the idea that Todd actually listens to himself at night. Like, <laughs> I, I think that might be true. I think he might go back and listen to literary disco past episodes. All right, God. There's no there's no might. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what we're gonna do, Ryder, do you wanna talk about any developments in your life? Or, I mean, I don't have anything. This is it, this is the exciting thing, so. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm in town uh, this weekend in Hartford, uh, coincidentally, actually, because of a 90s con that is going on, yeah. <laughs> Which has been really interesting. It's been like, a you know, so I've been part of this convention circuit for the last couple of years because of Boy Meets World. And uh, but this one is like very unique uh, because most most of the time it's like pop culture, you know, so it's like uh, people dressed up in costumes, uh, people uh, celebrating Dungeons and Dragons, people celebrating comic books, people celebrating cartoons, movies, the entire cast of Walking Dead. This one is all 90s. That's weird. And so people are dressed in 90s costumes. There was a John Hammond from uh, Jurassic Park <laughs> at our Q&A today. Everybody's wearing like uh, overalls with like one thing unbuckled. Oh, that was hot. It's really yeah. intense, I have to say. Uh, uh, so what's, it's like, the, what's it's the scrunchie count? Like, no, like over scrunchies by fans, they hand us scrunchies, and it's just there's trapper keepers everywhere. <laughs> I can't tell you. It's a very bizarre feeling um, to both be uh, feeling the nostalgia myself, and then also be a part of the nostalgia. Like I am actually like nostalgia for other people uh and that's just a, it's a bizarre vibe uh but it's been really fun and actually makes for a great convention i realize it's sort of like renaissance fairs right it's like the <laughs> same thing but it's for the 90s so uh i don't know i guess this will be the new thing like we just pick decades and <laughs> go back to them and all dress up and hang out 
Uh, yeah, so, you know, tomorrow night I'm going to be doing um, a 90s trivia game versus the Boy Meets World cast is going to take on the Sabrina Teenage Witch cast. Oh, you'll kill him. You'll yeah, kill him. I know nothing about 90s trivia, though. I'm, I'm just gonna, It's going to be horrible. Uh, but yeah, so, yeah, it's a very bizarre weekend, uh, and I'm just so glad that it happened to be in Hartford and allowed us to, you know, allowed me to come here and, and do our show here. So, I'm, I'm yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Ryder, I have, I have an important question. What yeah. What's the 90s con equivalent of the Ren Fair turkey leg? Like, what are people walking around eating? There's a lot of alcohol. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of these conventions don't involve drinking, but there's been a lot of drinking. White Claw, which does not count as no, 90s. No, Well, yeah, no, it's... <laughs> We, we did 90s trivia here last night and 3D Doritos came up and I was like, it was like a tesseract back to middle school. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I ate those. Yeah, they should be serving Zima. That would make right. it perfect, but no, yeah. Well, we really appreciate you being here and everybody, Ryder has been smiling all day. That's so true. if you take a moment to have resting zoned out face, it's not you, That's it's true. the whole day. That's true. <laughs> well, so Ryder, did, did, was there anything super weird that happened today? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have to say, like, all of it is very weird. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's actually, it's very inviting. Uh, I Like, all of these conventions and all of this experience, it's like, everybody comes up to me because they like me. <laughs> and it's like, it's very a positive experience. Like, they, they grew up with the show. They grew up in the 90s, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of people bringing their children and saying, oh. like, hey, this was important. I'm always like, what are they going to think about this? Like, <laughs> what, what was going on? Like, why did mom and dad dress up like this and make me meet this guy with this weird hair parted in the middle? Uh, you know, so I don't know. Like, I can't think of one thing in, in specifically, but uh, no, yeah, it's it's all it's all it's 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 like time travel. It's a very bizarre experience. Yeah. Surreal. All right. Wow. Well, I think it's time for us to bring on our first guest. Are you guys ready to stop chatting and stop talking about books? The important yes. thing. Okay. I feel very powerful. I'm running the whole show today. And if you listen to the podcast, that's not usually. Uh, does not happen. <laughs> usually my role and I can turn Todd off if I want. Yes! <laughs> Although I think your sound would still be on, which wouldn't oh. help me at all. <laughs> all right, um, let's bring up our, we're gonna have two guests tonight. Um, and the first one is a friend of mine. Her name is Mallory Howard, and she is the assistant curator at the Mark Twain House and Museum. Give Mallory a big round of applause. Woo, Mallory. Hi, you can bring Hi, Mallory. Is that better? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mallory and Todd have not met. Um, Hi, Mallory. Nice to meet you. So nice to see you. How's the family? Great. Good. How's, how's Good. the puppy? Right now, the puppy is sleeping. About four minutes ago, she was making a noise that made me think that maybe she'd attacked a duck. Um, but so far, so good. And I got to tell you guys, the puppy and our existing dog, Rube Goldberg, so far, no beef. It's important. Great. Okay. Well, I can see a recurring theme that has nothing to do with anything. 
Todd Goldberg. <laughs> All right, Mallory, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, I think first, let's just talk about Mark Twain and your interest in Mark Twain. Um, how long have you worked at the Mark Twain house? So it will be 15 years. Wow. 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 How wow. many people here have been to the Twain house? I saw a polite hand raiser and that's really on brand. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so Mallory, um, what do you love about Twain? Like, what's the, I know how much you love Twain and I know we're going to get into it in a second, but like, what, what drew you to Sam Clemens and the Twain house and all that stuff? I think his personality is very aligned with mine. You know, he's obviously hilarious. And I like <laughs> to think I have a good sense of humor. Um, his way with words, he's a master of description. And so that really pulled me in because I love how he crafts his writing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just kind of feel like we're kindred spirits in a way. And so it's never dull at the museum. There's always something going on. I always joke that we should have a TV show like similar to The Office, yeah. but about museums because you would not believe the stories. <laughs> yeah. Like things are crazy. I mean, you know some of the stories. I sure do. But it's just the environment's amazing. Twain always surprises you. So it's it's the most fun job you can have. Do you have, uh, what what is the, okay, well, I have two questions. One, what is the typical Mark Twain visitor? Yes. Um, like who who is the person that comes to the Mark Twain house? Val Kilmer. And Val then, <laughs> yeah. And yes, then my second has. question is like, do you have a craziest visitor story? It really varies. I mean, I would say our largest demographic are probably people. Dead people. 60s Primarily the dead. <laughs> Wait, say that again. 60s to 80s is yeah, our demographic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we get, you know, third graders, we get school groups and it's been really busy this weekend, probably because of 90s cons. So we've mm. gotten a whole new audience. And then we do a lot of interesting tours. We have ghost tours, we have clue tours that we do with CT, mm -hmm. um, which are a lot of fun. So it really brings in new audiences all the time. So I would say we're very lucky. We get a lot of foreign visitors. He's very popular in Germany and China. So really? yeah, <laughs> and so we get a lot of fans from all over the place. Um, right. As far as a crazy visitor story. Well, just a second, Mallory, I have a question. In terms of the ghost tours. Oh, yes. <laughs> As many people know, I'm a believer. Oh no, we walked right into the. Todd's gonna Todd's gonna bring out his Ouija board, guys. Get ready. I'm not. Is there a contingent of people who believe Mark Twain walks the property? Yes. Oh. We have been on. So invested. Listen, tell me more, Mallory. We've been on three episodes of Ghost Hunters. Oh. So all you have to do is go binge that and you'll be caught up and then you can come visit us and take a tour. So does ghost Mark Twain do bits or is he just like walking around like, oh, I'm on deadline? No, you know what? It's funny because the biggest Mark Twain ghost thing that happens is people smell cigar smoke all throughout the house. And it's also set off the smoke detectors in like the middle of the night. Explainable. So that's really the biggest twin ghost. We need to reveal for any new listeners, Todd is loving this and Ryder and I are like, this is complete garbage. <laughs> I, I think I there's no come up on our podcast. Huh. We've, we've even had a ghost cat at the house. So yeah. Have there have there been any sort of like um, like people, mediums there that are like, oh, Mark Twain, oh, yeah. are you here? <laughs> yep. We've had Free mediums. yourself to the next plane. 
Yeah. Well, because his oldest daughter, Susie, died in the house. Oh. And so, yes. So mediums will come in and say they can communicate with her. How did, how did she die? Spinal meningitis. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, God. Oh yeah. God. Yeah, it's not a good way to go. That's a bad, <laughs> bad death. Jesus. So. Yeah, and she, I, I realized I haven't said it. I used to work at the Twain House, too, with Mallory. Um, and Susie, when she was really near the end, would scrawl these, like, crazy hallucinogenic writings um which are very creepy and it's also very sad it is yeah 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 <laughs> well speaking of communicating with twain on another plane yes this is i we already told right about this but i'm so excited that todd has an idea where this is going so mallory you have had a couple of dreams about twain I and have. um she's she's really into <laughs> Sam, as we call him. You make me sound like a psychopath, <laughs> like stalker. Um, but we would love to hear um, your top couple of dreams about trying. Yes. Okay, so my first dream is very short, but people think it's extremely creepy and I get it. <laughs> so it, I walk into a room and it's dark and there's this faint light and I walk towards it. And when I get closer, Mark Twain is laying in bed in his pajamas. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. Is it his bed with the angels on it? No, it's like a twin college dorm bed. <laughs> is it Mark Twain or is it Mark Twain? <laughs> I'm waiting for you to meet like Smiley, who's going to tell you the story about Mark Twain. Yeah, All right, keep going. Yeah. So I like creep over to him because I don't want to wake him. And when I of course, why would you? Yeah. yeah, I don't want to wake him. So when I get to his bedside, he like kind of opens his eyes and like looks up at me. And I simply take the covers, I pull them up to his neck, and I lean down and gently kiss him on the forehead. <laughs> He's so sweet. That's so, where are your you don't hands? Say anything? No. You don't read him a bedtime Nothing. story? Nope. Well, where? Okay. So you okay. pull the thing up, you kiss him. Where are your hands when you're kissing him? I was, pull I was pulling the covers up. Right. So I pulled the covers up, leaned down, gently kissed him on the forehead. He went into a deep REM sleep. I slowly backed out of the room. Good night, sweet prince. Exactly. It was just like that. So that is my tender story. Okay. My other one, which has turned into a thing, is that- Oh, I bet. He, he, came, back, he came back to life and I took him and at the time it was my 2005 RAV4. And I was driving him through Hartford, showing him like modern day conveniences. <laughs> That's and great. I told my coworkers, and it's now turned into a game where we say, if you could show Mark Twain only three things, what would you show him? And my number one was I would take him through a drive-through of like a fast food restaurant <laughs> because then the speaker would voice would come on, like, can I help you? And I'd tell him, yeah, I want number six with cheese. And then we'd pull up to a window. I'd hold, like hand over this magic card and they'd swipe it. And then all of a sudden the food would be ready and his mind would be blown. <laughs> So we play this game where you mention like crazy things you like, what would you guys show him? Oh my God. Mm. I should have thought about this. I know. Yeah, I know. Mm. So many things. Yeah. I feel like it's boring to say like a phone or a computer. Right. You know, man, I think an elevator. Oh, you know, that would be fun, especially like a 
big glass one like at the science center although it's pretty simple technology but i still think they're pretty fun it's a, it's a pulley <laughs> all right an episode of boy meets world two reasons interracial relationship bam two comedy sitcom the guy would love it he would love he'd it love it he'd be like yeah this makes sense to me right. he'd be like, I the height of comedy <laughs> 1995 <laughs> I would show him a YouTube video of Val Kilmer portraying him. <laughs> They're like, look at this, Val Kilmer got fat and now he's you. <laughs> All good answers. Okay, please bring these back to work. So, <laughs> Mallory, can I, can I ask you a question in regards to the dreams? Sure. So are these your only two dreams that you consciously recall or are these like the top two? These are the only two I can consciously recall. Where and how many present. years separated them? Probably about three. <laughs> okay. Were, was there anything weird happening at work? No. Where is this going? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what the fuck is wrong with Mallory. <laughs> when we decided to do this show, which was very, very recently, um, Ryder's like, it can't be just us. And I was like, I got somebody. <laughs> does, does the dream cause you to feel like you now have a different relationship with him? Wait, what was the question? Do, do these dreams now make you feel like you have a different relationship with him? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, what's weird is that my friends will treat him as if he's a member of the family, which is right. weird. So they'll be That's like, hey, Mary, how's it going? How's Mark Twain? I'm like, he's good. So it is like very weird. <laughs> He's become like an extended family member, but so far, no, no, no dreams about him lately, but that could change. Maybe tonight I'll have one because we're talking yeah. about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe take a couple melatonin. See <laughs> where it goes. Can we go back for a second? Just about the name issue. Like, I'm very curious about this. So you guys, when you're at the house, you refer to him as Mark Twain or Sam? Sam. 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 Okay. Yes. Yeah. So like, because it's very, it, it, it's very, uh, American to me yeah that the man renamed himself right yes. like he, he he invented this whole persona and that our popular conception of him is entirely in the invented persona we don't like most people still think of him as Mark Twain right which is uh, you know this what was it something about the steamboats yep. like uh, yeah so I mean like I'm just fascinated at, at, that we as a culture have adopted his fictional version yeah. more than the real person. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yes. it's very P.T. Barnum, I guess is what I'm yeah, saying. It's very Donald Trump in a weird way. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like you get to make up who you are. Like that is like the most American thing of all of all time. And like the fact that we consider him like the great American novelist and then we embrace his fictional version of himself. But you guys called yes. him Sam. Yeah, because, um, and jump in Mallory, you're mm -hmm. way more on top of this than I am. Um, first of all, he and Barnum were friends and they wrote to each other. Barnum is also from Connecticut uh, hmm. and has a house, or used to, it burned to the ground. <laughs> as did, as did, by the way, all of Barnum's shit. So when the house burned down, they were like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, but um, Sam is really different. Like when you think of Mark Twain, you think of like a jokester. He's really funny. He reinvented American humor. He's so creative. Right. <laughs> really very sad yeah and there's like a very serious side and the the house here really deals with that because 
Um, a lot of very sad family things happened to him and it was the height of his fame, but also a turning point in his life. Um, that was very difficult. So, you know, like to, to only call him Mark Twain feels disrespectful to the real person. Right. Um, right. And to say, yeah, to say Sam is like, we acknowledge that he was a person that grew up, you know, and became Twain, but was really only the white suit haha guy at the very end of his life. Right. And it's interesting because even on one of his passports one time, it's listed occupation and he wrote Mark Twain. Oh, wow. wow. So it's very, right? Oh, right. Very it's like deep. a conscious. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, is it is it even that different than, um, than like say Eminem or Dr. Dre, right? Like we no. use that neither to Dr. Dre or Eminem are who they are. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You know, when we have school tours, that's what we use to get kids to understand the Mark Twain versus Samuel Clemens thing is we'll pick a popular singer or artist that they could understand. Oh, there's two, you know, there's two different personalities or personas. So. Right. Well, even so before tonight, we reread, or did you just, no, you had read it before, right? I had read it before, but apparently not as often as the, you guys. The jumping frog of Calaveras mm. County, like the most famous, and I, I, I didn't realize it was his first story yes. that like really made him him. And it's so funny because the story is just layer upon layer upon layer. It's, do you guys know this story? It's like, you know, oh, I'm going to tell you a story about the the jumping frog of Calaveras County. I went to go find this guy. And then this other guy told me I could find this other guy. And then he told me the story. And it's like, there's so many layers to it. It reminded me of uh, George Saunders when, you know, we had him on our show and we were, we were interviewing him. We we're talking, he, in his book about uh, fiction, he has this chapter where he's like, then there are stories where it's not the story, it's the storyteller. Mm -hmm. Where you're suddenly like, who is this guy or this girl telling me this story? And I feel like Twain was that person. Like, yes. it was not the story. It's like, let me tell you a story. And then halfway through, you're like, but what's up with you? You know? <laughs> and like, why are you telling this? And I feel like he perfected that. And it goes hand in hand with like creating the Mark Twain persona. Yes. I, I just love that. And I, it, it feels to me... I mean, not to be like hyperbolic, but it feels like the birth of American literature in some ways. <laughs> not like, hyperbolic in any way. <laughs> Sorry. But you know, I guess like, because as opposed to so many other traditions, the narrator being the story, like mm -hmm. the idea of like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. And then you're suddenly like, but what's up with you, Huck Finn? What's right. up with you, Mark Twain? Like it, that becomes the story. It's not like, uh, here's a narrative point A, you know, you compare it to the Russian where it's like very like you know uh, third person objective there was no attempt at that like the whole notion of objectivity is just thrown out the window mm -hmm. and I feel like even in his creation of a persona in his own life it was about like I'm the narrator and yes. I don't know I, I find that so American yes that's so interesting because you know Victorian literature has a lot of frame stories too and like if you read you know, so many, I mean, what's coming to mind are some Henry James things and he was American and British, mm -hmm. but like, it'll say like, okay, I'm going to tell you a story, but it's a separate chapter. And mm. then we like never hear from that guy ever again. <laughs> so it's like acknowledging this relationship, but there's this hard wall around it. Whereas this story is so layered that, I mean, layered in the way that you described that the actual story is just like the dumbest story <laughs> and it doesn't end. there's no end to yeah. it it's like oh and then let me tell you about the cow it's yeah. like a whole nother story yeah but here's here's the weird thing though 
Oh, and, and I'm sure that you experienced this too, Riders, that growing up in Northern California, yep. the, the story itself has morphed into a culture mm-hmm. so that they have, like for little kids, jumping frog contests that mimic Calaveras County. And the whole notion of Calaveras County and of the story becomes sort of a larger cultural myth that Twain creates that is part of Northern California history. So that when I read this story again for the first time in 40 years or something, in my mind, it was going to be all the shit that we did around the story when we were 10 years old and not, in fact, a thousand word story that has no ending. (laughs) It's anti-story. It's it's anti-story. Anti-story, yeah. Yeah, so to explain it to you guys, it's a bunch of people it's chasing down the storyteller and then the story is and everyone jump in because i think i've read the story the least <laughs> the story is a guy likes to bet on stuff including the death of a, of a friend's wife <laughs> <laughs> um and then he decides to train a capture a frog train it to jump really far and then invite people challenge people to jump another frog against him and he always wins but then another guy just fills that frog's mouth with bullets. That's happens. Totally normal. Buckshot, yeah, quail shot. <laughs> and um, and then of course the frog won't jump. He loses, and that the, the, that the frog <laughs> is alive is a bit of a surprise. Yeah, they shake the frog out, and it all falls out. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's it. So yeah. I am amazed that both Todd and Ryder were like, I've read this a million times. And I thought, but why? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what about you, Mallory? Have have you revisited it? And you know, what's your take on the jumping frog? I I love it. I think it's a good, no pun intended, jumping off point for his career. <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. um, good night, so- Mallory. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it. I, I think it sets the stage for how he writes later on. And so it's a, it's a good embodiment of who he was as a writer. Um, and he's also known for doing those, those endings that don't really end. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's sometimes people's frustrations with him is that he doesn't neatly wrap up the end of a story with a nice bow. And it sometimes will aggravate people. Um, but yeah, it's a very popular story. We even have jumping frog contests at the museum. We used to have live frogs, but don't anymore. <laughs> now they're what mechanical happened? frogs. <laughs> mechanical uh, frogs? Yes. You got to bring STEM in. So now students compete and they build mechanical jumping frogs. Nice. So it's still, we're still making that story relevant. And, and a lot of people don't know that story. You know, when they think of Mark Twain, they just think Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer, he's funny. He's really well quoted. Um, but bringing this makes him more and more relevant. Um, I am, I look like I'm just randomly looking at my phone, but I just remembered that I. <laughs> you got somewhere to be? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was reading about the contests that are, I think, still going on in California. And they're so funny. So there, there was like a big dramatic thing where people tried to use toads. Um, and that is not okay. <laughs> Um, the toad issue came to a head more than 50 years ago when the county fair ma- manager, Carl Mill, threatened to harm any toad that was entered into the, the frog jumping contest. The issue went to the Superior Court of Calaveras <laughs> County, where the judge ruled that the contest would be exclusively for frogs and no toad would be allowed to compete. That cracked me up. But then, in a much more shocking, serious <laughs> 
Do you guys want to guess what the actual world record for a frog jump is in these contests? 36 feet. Oh, that's ridiculous. It's 21 feet and five inches by Rosie the Riveter. <laughs> that's great. That's terrible. Um, 21 feet, that's insane. That's, yeah. that's impressive. Wow. Well, any final thoughts on the jumping frog before we invite our other guests on stage? And Mallory will stay on, so we can, yeah. <laughs> this can go any Talk which more. Uh, any Mallory, what, what's your favorite Mark Twain piece of fiction? Ooh, fiction. Okay, normally people ask what's my favorite. Innocence Abroad is my favorite that he's written in general. I think yeah. it's very underrated. Um, I would say my other one is Puddinhead Wilson is my favorite. Oh, fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I think that also is another underrated one. It's the first time that fingerprints are used mm -hmm. uh, in a novel. As crime story. As yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I really, really love that one. I recommend that one to people. Right. Yeah, and he touched so many genres. I mean, can we also say Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court? That's a time travel sci-fi story. Okay, oh, wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that here. <laughs> Let's bring up an expert in all genres because she's a librarian. Everybody give it up for a librarian at the Croton Free Library in New York, Gwen Glazer. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Gwen, nice I fucked up your name. Did I, did I call you Grace okay. when I saw you? Grace. Better yet, I'm going to call your puppy Gwen, actually. <laughs> so embarrassed. I don't know how I'm going to survive this. Okay. It's, it's amazing because you guys are friends. And yeah. Cool. Something happened. I mean, I'm a Jew from New York, Todd. Not many of us are named Grace. <laughs> but you know, the thing is, you look like a friend of mine whose name is Grace, so I'm worried about this. Well. <laughs> Like when she finds out that I named my dog Grace, is she gonna be like, did you name your fucking dog after me? I think it's a compliment. I think it's okay. There's no way she'll hear this podcast, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> All right, so Gwen, thank you so much for coming today. We had Gwen on because we've had her on the podcast, I think a couple times, mm -hmm. um, and we are in touch. She used to work at the New York Public Library um, and run her own podcast there. Um, and we've done so much fun stuff together. So welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I miss podcasting so much. And it's so cool to see all these people in a room together. I know. It's amazing. It's awesome. It feels great. Yeah. When we, when we built this room, we didn't think about podcasting, but we've had a lot of po live podcasts here and they're nice. awesome. Um, okay. So Gwen, tell us, how's that librarian life treating you? <laughs> you know, it's going okay. It's going okay. There, uh, we have had a very interesting couple of months, I would say, um, partly due to the number of challenges and bans that have been coming up. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it's been really interesting. And I did feel as though the other day I really like leveled up as a librarian um, because I had my first patron call and try to get a book pulled off the shelf. Oh yeah, let's look about that, yeah. Yeah. And what was the book? That, that is the best question. And so many people don't ask that. I'm so glad that you what? asked. I know. I'm like, that's the first thing that you should want to know. It was genderqueer um, by Maya Kobabe, whose name I looked up how to pronounce before I came because it was like, I don't want to embarrass myself. 
Um, it's an amazing book. It's a graphic novel biography. Um, and Maya Kobe did the illustrations and wrote all the words. Um, it's one of the books that's been challenged many times in a lot of different settings, mm. um, partly because it's really easy to see the quote unquote objectionable content because mm. it's pictures, right? Right, right. So yes, this person um, believed that their 11 year old should not ever have to see anything that this person personally found objectionable, even though it's in the YA room and had systematically gone down the list and called every library in the county that had it on the shelf in the YA room, teenagers, um, and tried to get it removed. And so what happens in that? Are you obligated to do something? Is there some reporting you have to do? So that's a really good question because I actually, I wanted to like be cool and have the actual number. So I looked up the number. There were 330 challenges and bans in just the last three months of 2021. Wow. And that was more than the entire year of 2019, the last year that sort of normal stuff was going on in schools. Um, but then I realized like, what does that number even mean? Because something like this, I like, do I report it? I actually don't even know. Um, so I feel as though, you know, we don't actually even really know how often this is happening. Um, yeah. Did so you write down the person's phone number by chance. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Would you like me to share it with all of you right now? <laughs> What's their email address? Let's just, just so it. happen to have my phone here. <laughs> their home address, right? We could all just go over, stop by. Um, but so the process is a little bit different depending on the library, but you go and you look at the collection development policy. In this case, I had purchased this book. I had chosen where it went. Like, so the process is really that you have to talk to me about it. Um, and it was a really interesting conversation. I actually like, I, I was a little bit disappointed because at first I thought, okay, like the woman was very reasonable on the phone and she just said, I object to this. And I was like, okay, thank you for your feedback. Mm -hmm. And she was like, are you going to remove it? And I said, absolutely not. I will not be removing it. <laughs> thank you for your time. And it sort of felt like it was winding up. And I was like, oh, I trained like my whole life for this. Like I went to grad school <laughs> for this moment. Like, please let me at least like argue with you about it a little. Um, but then right as I was about to hang up, she really started like yeah. getting going and started saying the word dildo 50 times. So that it could just be super shocking. There's a picture of a dildo that she really objected to. So dildo, 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 like over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, she got herself really wound up. She called me a child abuser. She said that wow. I put pornography in the hands of children. Yeah, some really intense stuff. So yeah. it was. And you're like, which one of us said dildo the most today? <laughs> yeah. You think I'm a child abuser? I got a friend who dreams about Mark Twain. <laughs> talk to her <laughs> uh, let me ask you that when would you remove a book like what what would be calls for a book removal i would kind of hope that we would have gotten to it before it would get to that point so mm -hmm. that we wouldn't have purchased it in the first place basically right. if we felt that it wasn't appropriate right. this particular book it was so easy to justify it it absolutely is a young adult novel mm -hmm. um it won an award from the american library association for things specifically for young adults so like there's really not a lot of gray area in my mind about this particular one yeah. and i had also just read the book so i felt prepared to talk about it definitely 
there could be a book that you would have to review, like that you would have to go back and look at. But the whole point of libraries really is that we provide materials and information. We don't decide who looks at it. Right. So if you per personally have a problem with your 11 year old looking at things in a room for teenagers, then maybe you shouldn't let your 11 year old go into the room for teenagers. Right. Um, but it's really up to the parents. To and, and that's the difference, right, Gwen, between uh, an, a library in a city versus a school library or having the book in the curriculum of a class. Right, exactly. And it's actually a lot harder, I think, for school librarians sometimes because there, there is a sort of sense of endorsement, whereas public libraries, it's really just about providing things and then Access. letting families make their own decisions yeah. as opposed to schools where you have to read particular things. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I knew it was coming for us, but it came a little earlier than I thought it was going to. <laughs> well, it's funny because when we first had you on the show, you had us read two books that at the time were being super challenged. Mm -hmm. You had us read uh, George, right? Um, is that what it was called? Yeah, we call it Melissa now though. So the okay. author, yeah, the author was using actually the dead name of their own character. And so- Oh, how interesting. It's actually, that, that book has been really cool because the author actually asked everybody to go and replace the cover um, so that it had Melissa on the cover wow. page and a lot of oh libraries and schools and stuff like had contests to design it and so there's like student now design like covers and all oh my gosh yeah yeah that is so cool but you know that was like we had you on the show it was like five or six years ago mm -hmm. which is crazy that to just to think about how long we've been doing the show but the the fervor was happening then too do you feel like that the sort of cycle of banning um, or the desire to ban is tied to something larger culturally each time that it comes through? Or is it just like, oh, we got new elected horrible conservatives somewhere in the city council, let's have them call? That's a great question. I don't really know the answer. It does feel like it comes in waves where it sort of happens a lot and then it sort of recedes. Maybe it's tied to like other political events happening. I'm not sure. Mm. That's a really good question. But, this, but it, can't, it can't be a coincidence that this is happening at the same time Florida is passing the don't say gay law and Texas is trying to, you know, have parents, you know, arrested for having gay children. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. there has to be a tie in between those two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because why else would you use your time to do this? That That's what comes to my mind. It's who's like, hmm, what will I do on this Thursday afternoon? <laughs> Call, Call the, the library, library and yeah. yell at them. You know, that is just absolutely unbelievable to yeah. me. Yeah, and it's like the chilling effect that it has is what I really worry about that, that every time, especially a school librarian in a place like Florida or Texas or somewhere where these challenges are really intense, like every time a school librarian purchases a book, are they thinking in their head, like, I have to be able to stand behind every word in this book? And if so, it's like these challenges and bans succeed. Right. You know, even if even if the book is not pulled off the shelf, even if it's still available, it's like, oh, what is that chilling effect? So I actually, I came up with this earlier. I was really proud of myself. <laughs> that I feel like we have to have a warming effect that anybody who wants these books on the shelves and anybody who supports them being there, like just tell your library that you want it so that the director can see, so the board of trustees can see if it's at a school. So the administration knows that you're glad that it's there because that's what I feel like we really need to sort of counterbalance this. Like if a librarian was feeling intimidated about buying a book about trans kids, about 
you know, anything, BIPOC kids, whatever, that they need to be able to say, oh, wait, like in the back of my mind, I know that there are people who really want this here, not mm-hmm. just the people who are yelling so loudly about getting rid of them. I think we should so. clap for that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. This wow. is so depressing and it's not about like Mark Twain dreams or like anything, but I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's interesting because the, the kind of secondary censorship that is happening, like it happens with Twain too. So, yeah. and Mallory can speak to this much better than I can, but when I was there, we were talking about how, you know, Twain was not widely banned, but more teachers were afraid to teach it or didn't know how to deal with so many of the elements in it. So it just sort of dropped out of the curriculum without formal challenge, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it's complicated. I think there's a lot of people who don't wanna be reading Huck Finn because of the N word and really tough depictions of slavery. Um, but it was so interesting to hear how teachers, you know, like they're making choices and how do they make those choices? Well, they're not in a vacuum. Like they're talking to parents there. I mean, it must suck to be a teacher and be harassed by parents constantly, you know, like who yeah. can blame anyone for choosing a book that isn't going to be challenged, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, Mallory, do you Well, and I think teachers are also overworked, underpaid. Yeah. And yeah. hands down. <laughs> And so in a sense too, I mean, how do you expect them to teach a book like Huck Finn when they already have limited resources, limited time? So a lot of them unfortunately have to end up dropping the book and trying to pick up something else. And and so that's why too at the museum, we really try to um, do teacher workshops and and help them learn how to teach that book in a way that's beneficial to their students. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. Huck Finn is really really quickly falling out of a lot of curriculum well i can't imagine how scary it would be to be a like a sixth grade teacher trying to teach huck finn knowing that you're it's a minefield like there's no way you're going to get through it without somehow screwing this up without that sort of proper backup you know um but also the the support of the school and the administration as well to teach challenging work from a from a bygone era Right. And there was even that controversy a few years ago where a Twain scholar had a uh, publisher produce Huck Finn without the N-word. Oh, that's right. It caused a bunch of controversy because people were saying, well, you're editing, you're censoring Twain. And his argument was, no, I'm making Twain more available because Mm -hmm. now teachers will choose Huckleberry Finn because that word is being taken out. So there's been a lot of back and forth over it throughout the years yeah and there is no simple answer to that to that (laughs) right but i think to wrap up our time with our guests like truly and i did not think of this till you guys were talking together but thank god we have the socialist institutions of libraries and museums (laughs) yes spaces you know that used to be a really popular phrase like it can't just everyone's like school and home school and home but there needs to be these spaces where people of all ages I read Huck Finn in high school and in college it was great to read in college but anyways you know if you go to a library or museum as a kid you're an independent person you're your own person you're not answering to your parent or your teacher and you can explore these things in a much more interesting and complex way so thank you guys both for the work that you do. Yeah, thank you. Um, and give them one more round of applause. They're gonna go sit down. You guys are the best. Audience, are you having fun? 
All right, this is flying by, but I think we're going to play our quick game and then that'll probably take about 10 minutes and then we'll open it up for a little bit of Q&A. Awesome. Um, sound good, everybody? Yeah. All right. Now, uh, please give them a round of applause to the lovely, the talented Allie Rivera. I need her help. Allie, I know we're not at Q&A yet, but you can help me see. I can't really see. Um, and yes, we will need a mic for this. Please raise your hand if you brought a book. Oh, very excited person. Yes. Also the person who raised her hand about um, the Mark Twain house, so. Very good. Okay, hi, what's your name? Uh, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Um, did you bring a book to challenge us with? I did, yes. Okay, so before you get into it, um, and Ryder, maybe you can help me out because all of our games make no sense. None of them. Right. So I can't remember how they work. The idea with this book, judging a book by its cover, which has nothing to do with its cover, <laughs> is that we listen to the first paragraph uh, and cut out any like obvious names or na places that would give it away. And we try and either- Like West Egg, for instance. Yeah. We try and figure out at least that what genre, what era. We just try and figure out if we know anything about this book from the first paragraph. I have yeah. the first sentence. Oh, first sentence. <laughs> oh. Okay, good enough. That's Let's fine. Okay. okay. Go for it. All right. This is a tale of a meeting of two lonesome, skinny, fairly old white men on a planet which was dying fast. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. okay. Will you read it one more time, Lauren? Yep. This is a tale of a meeting of two lonesome, skinny, fairly old white men on a planet which was dying fast. Okay. okay. I know the, oh, anybody wanna go? I, I feel like the impulse is, is like to go sci-fi. No, it's or, gotta be Earth. No, I think it's Earth. I think it's nonfiction. I think it's contemporary nonfiction. And it's, it's gonna be two, uh, you know, it's gonna be, uh, two historical figures meeting about climate change. Uh, <laughs> contemporary figures meeting about climate change. Mm. Mm? Mm. Okay. What do you think, Todd? Um, so it's the it's the vernacular that makes me think it's it's present day you know old white guys that's yeah, that's agree. present day yep. they don't say that about themselves a hundred years ago nope. <laughs> right right um the the sort of ironic pose of the sentence makes me feel like it was something published in the last 15 years mm -hmm. um but i actually i think it's i think it's probably fiction but it's sort of some sort of like absurdist sci-fi, like John Scalzi type thing, um, where it's it's funny, but also takes place in the future or something. Okay. You think funny fiction that takes place in the future. Sci-fi. Did you say non-fiction? Non-fiction. I think it's yeah, I think it's about, you know, a contemporary meeting of minds between two like Obama and Putin. <laughs> White Obama guys. is not white an old white, white guys. Guy. Right. <laughs> Stop the recording. Wow, what a close read. <laughs> Such a good listener. Oh boy. Okay. Um I Or it's a terrible poem. 
mean, I, I can't really come up with a third take because I think those are the only, it's gotta be very, very recent. Um, but I also think, um, nonfiction, but I do not think it's about climate change. That would be way too on the nose for the first line. And that, come on. (laughs) But also like clearly Lauren picked this to fuck with us. Yeah, we got to also start thinking about who's this fucking Lauren and what's yeah. her game. What's up with you, Lauren? Yeah. All right. So um, I think I think that's as far as we should go. Right. Um, Lauren, who is the closest to correct? So it's fiction. Oh, Shit. <laughs> OK, what is it? Kurt Vonnegut, Breakfast of Champions. Oh! You know, I was amazing. I was, damn it. I oh. might connect the neuron, but I was like, this sounds a lot like Galapagos. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Forget that. How do we I not get like Breakfast of Champions? But like, oh. Vonnegut, of course. That's so great. Um, do, you, oh. do you happen to know, or does anyone know, what year was Breakfast of Champions? Like it was 63 in- or something. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. So the white guy thing was like way ahead of its time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow, amazing. Um, Let's stop there so we have time for a couple more. Thank you so much, Lauren. Okay, we'll do two more. Okay, I gotta, you can pick, Allie. Go for it. All right. Okay, and I know you're seriously preparing your entry, but can you tell us your name? Uh, My name is Tara. Hi, Tara. Hi, Tara. Hi. Um, so mine, it's a short paragraph, but it goes, um, a man of my acquaintance runs wrote a poem called The Road Less Traveled, describing a journey he took through the woods along a path most travelers never used. The poet found that the road less traveled was peaceful, but quite lonely. And he was probably a bit nervous as he went along, because if anything happened on the road less traveled, the other travelers would be on the road more frequently traveled and couldn't hear him as he cried for help. Sure enough, <laughs> that poet is now dead. <laughs> Can you read just the first sentence again? Sure. A man of my acquaintance once wrote a poem called The Road Less Traveled, describing a journey he took through the woods along a path most travelers never used. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, a man of my acquaintance. So, is it- So, someone who knows Robert Frost. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, one of those conquered people. (laughs) (laughs) So, Emerson? Oh, boy. But it's so wry. So, can you yeah. read it one? Can you read the whole thing one more time? <laughs> a man of my acquaintance once wrote a poem called "The Road Less Traveled," describing a journey he took through the woods along the path most travelers never used. The poet found that the road less traveled was peaceful but quite lonely, and he was probably a bit nervous as he went along because if anything happened on the road less traveled, the other travelers would be on the road more frequently traveled, and so couldn't hear him as he cried for help. Sure enough, that poet is now dead. Okay. Okay. So, okay. This is so funny. I yeah. As a random paragraph, this could be anybody, but as the beginning of a book, this is psychotic. <laughs> so it's got to be fiction. Yes. Yes. Um. So all right, what fictional book? is pretending to be an acquaintance of Frost, yes. but in a funny way. Yes. That's really I want to read it, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know this book, but I want to read it. Yeah, that's really fun. Hmm, okay. Hold on. By the way, we should tell you guys, we literally almost never guess it. So it's a bad game. <laughs> no, sometimes it we do. Happened, it has happened. It has happened. 
This so, okay, so I think it's therefore modern. Mm-hmm. No. Hmm. I think I think it's modern, but I'm going to say like within a hundred years of Robert Frost. <laughs> so when did Frost die? Like 1936 or something like that? <laughs> wow, what a specific guess. I'm going to say it's from the 70s. It sounds like something that was written in the 1970s. Hmm. I think this is a, I'm going to swing big here. I think this is a time travel book. Um, where some kind of, I'm just going random guys, you know, that a contemporary of Frost is moving through time just for the hell of it, because he's got this like much more modern voice, but he's saying contemporary. So yeah, maybe it's like a time traveler's wife type deal where they're moving, moving around. It's it's too sardonic because it's about like Frost was wrong. Yeah, it's got to be like it's like the Douglas Adams of poetry fiction books. Yes, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, it's like again, it's very Vonnegut-ish too. It's like yeah, this humorous. Ah, I don't know. Uh, It's definitely fiction. I would say it's more contemporary. I would say it's within the last twenty years, Um, and I would say, uh, God, I have no idea. Okay. I want to read it though. Yes. I, I'm so fascinated. Who wins? That's what we care about. Uh, you're kind of on the right track. It's definitely modern. Um, and when you said Douglas Adams, you were definitely on the right track. It's Lemony Snicket, The Slippery Slope. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, damn. Another one I should have gotten. <laughs> wow, you've actually read it? Or, yeah, uh-huh. I've read all the Lemony Snicket books. Nice. They're great. That's a series liar. of unfortunate events. <laughs> I'm not a liar. I just don't remember anything I read. Oh, that's right. You're, you're a parent. <laughs> um, wow. Two books I've read and was horribly wrong about. But, we're, but we, we are, we're at least pretty close. Like we can understand tone. Yes. Yes. Good. Good for us. Um, all right. We're going to do can... one more. One more. Okay. Very good. Everyone's very excited to hear. Are, are these people perfect. getting prizes for stumping? <laughs> no, no. They should. Not. Yeah, they should. They All right, here's should. the deal. I'm looking for a prize. Okay. The beat us. Get their addresses and I'll send them signed books. Okay. Right. Great. Oh. Yes. I didn't think that would work. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Whitney. All right. So uh, here's my paragraph. My first indication that food was something other than a substance when stuffed in one's face, when hungry, like filling up at a gas station, came after fourth grade elementary school. It was on a family vacation to Europe on a Queen's Mary in the cabin class dining room. There's a picture somewhere, my mother in her Jackie O sunglasses, my younger brother and I in our painfully cute cruise wear, boarding the big Cunard ocean liner. All of us excited about our first transatlantic voyage, our first trip to my father's ancestral homeland, France. Um, I, I've read this. Yeah. I feel like I've read this too. I feel like I know this. Okay, boarding an ocean liner in their cute, what are the cute outfits? Oh my God. Oh, sorry. You put it away. I'm sorry. I should. Ryder and I are doing the same thing with our faces, by the way. 
keep talking. I'm gonna find this. the paragraph again. <laughs> We've done this on the show. I feel like. No, oh God, right. that would be really humiliating. <laughs> this feels okay. so familiar. So it's cute cruise wear. Cute uh, cruise wear. Yes. Okay. Does that help? <laughs> None of it helps. <laughs> Is this Catherine Burrell's corked? No. Wow. Am I, I'm not going to give it away quite right. yet. Yeah. I, I'm curious to see. Do you remember Kevin Burrell was on our show? Yeah. One of her first episodes, and she wrote a memoir about going to France with her father. Oh, Sorry, wow. but anyway, that's that's what it was a wine memoir about. All right, not right, but it's some, I, I know this book. All right. Yeah. Um, part of me wants to say it's, it's, like, it's like a David Sedaris esque yes. human being. I think it's a memoir. It's, it's a memoir. It's a memoir. Temporary memoir. It's very funny. Uh, yeah, I know I've read this book. <laughs> okay, Whitney, tell us what it is. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Wait. John's oh. <laughs> not gonna let it go. It. Read it one more time, real quick. Read the whole paragraph oh one more time. God. Yes, read the whole paragraph one more time. All uh, right. And try to do it like in the genre that it is. <laughs> Maybe I'll give you a challenge and do like a different accent. No, don't do that. That's the opposite. Like if it's a noir, like dig in. All right. My first indication that food was something other than a substance one stuffed in one's face when hungry, like filling up at a gas station, came after fourth grade elementary school. It was on a family vacation to Europe on the Queen Mary in the cabin class dining room. There's a picture somewhere, my mother and her Jackie O sunglasses, my younger brother and I in our painfully cute cruise wear, boarding the big Cunard ocean liner. All of us excited about our first transatlantic voyage, our first trip to my father's ancestral homeland, France. Okay, so the father's okay. not there. So father's not there. Chef's memoir. It has to be somebody yeah. who's a chef. Yeah. Um, a great cook. That's, I mean, yeah. clearly, and I, I know I've read this. Or it's Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain, Kitchen yes. Confidential. Bourdain? Yeah. It has to be, right? Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yes. yes. Drum roll, everyone. Kitchen Confidential, you guys are yeah. right! <laughs> yes! <laughs> we have read Got it, it, not on the show. You guys you have got something no right idea. tonight. Right. Not only tonight, last night I was in a trivia show. I failed every single question. Thank you all. Please give a big round of applause. Yes, for... thank you so much. Incidentally, all three of those books are amazing. I really have read all of them. And if you haven't read Lemony Snicket with your kid, mm. you are going to seriously fall in love. The right. voice is perfect, yeah. as you already learned. Yeah, all that. right, so guys, we are coming towards the end. Can you believe it? No. Oh, do you want to live here? Well, <laughs> before we go to our Q&A, um, I, I, it is my duty bound duty to say, um, please come back to this theater. Yeah. Um, we do shows um, every single weekend. We usually do four or five shows a weekend. Um, so, you know, we need a lot of audience members to sustain that. <laughs> Um, but more than that, like we do try to do a lot of things like this that are creative, that are weird, that we have no idea how bad they're going to fail. Um, and you're always welcome. It's different every single night you come. So please give a round of applause to CT Improv in general. Yes. Um, and 
lest I forget later, our amazing staff here who is making this so smooth and easy, even though we're trying to record over Zoom and all this stuff. So please, um, for our house manager, Lori, we have Norm, we have Drew, and we have Amanda in the box office. Give them a big round of applause too. Okay, now it is Q&A time. If you, we probably won't get to everybody. Um, so uh, I'm just sorry about that in advance, but if you have a question, just raise your hand. Allie's gonna use her amazing judgment and make sure it's fair. She'll look all over the room <laughs> um, and we'll answer as much as we can. Okay, so at anything at all. All right, so if you have a question, raise up your hand. Got one, Allie? Hi. 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 So it's actually, I had this question before the, we talked to Gwen about the library and um, banned books. Next week, I'm going to a banned book and forgotten book reading party. Awesome. And um, I was wondering, what book do you feel should get more attention as being banned or forgotten? Mm. Mm. Banned or forgotten? Correct. Sure. Mm. Okay, that's really good. What's your name? Rachel. Rachel. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, and you can hand the mic back to Allie while we think about your really good question. Such a good question. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hmm. Well, <laughs> actually, I've got one that I know Ryder loves. Um, so, and it's coming to mind when you say forgotten. So the New York Review of Books uh, has a whole publishing arm that brings back books that went out of print. And if you haven't... Um, check those out. They're amazing really across the board. Um, but I was thinking of Butcher's Crossing yeah. writer, which is a I book. Love it. It's a, it's been a long time. And as I already admitted, I forget um, 90% of yeah. <laughs> what I read. Um, but it's a book that's about the slaughter of bison and like the moment in time where the skins became more valuable than the meat and how like how much we destroyed the West. Um, and it's fiction. It's basically a Western in my memory, but um, it's so brutal. And it's like an environmental novel. It's like a novel that touches history. It's so good. And I think I have a lot of people heard of uh, Stoner by John Williams. Yeah. Um, it's the same writer. So um, it's just a really good book. Yeah, that's like one of one of my favorite novels of all time, actually. And it's uh, it's basically uh, Moby Dick for the West. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. it has a lot of the same themes of like, weird environmentalism and um uh industrial use of animals and how america relates to its landscape and uh it, i think it's one of the most brilliant novels ever it, it's and it's brutal it's hard to read uh but yeah i i love it and it's really been forgotten um, yeah definitely that's one of my favorites yeah and stoner is also amazing amazing yeah Yes. Um, the one that I was thinking, I had to, I had to look up the author because I honestly forgot his name, but I recently went, read uh, high wind in Jamaica by Richard Hughes. And I feel mm -hmm. like it's like become like top five book for me. And I can't believe more people aren't talking about it. I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, but uh, it's incredible. It's this weird colonial novel about um, uh, pirates in Jamaica end up with, uh, they end up uh, kidnapping a group of kids. Uh, or they get stuck with them. They don't even tend to kidnap them and they get stuck with kids on their ship and they're trying to be pirates and these kids are trying to be kids 
And it's this crazy Peter Pan meets Lord of the Flies thing. And it's incredibly brutal and incredibly funny and um, completely forgotten. Like, I, I just, I can't believe more people don't talk about this book. So that, that would be mine, but cool. it's not banned. I would love to think of a good band. I know, book. I know it's hard, but I feel like all the ones that I'm like, they're banned, they're now the most popular books, which right, is a right. cool side effect of right. people trying to ban a book is yeah. it gets a lot of press. <laughs> How about you, John? Um, well, I've got two books in mind. The first that I want to bring up, I just so happen to have it here on my shelf. Um, and it's a book I stole from the library when I was 10 years old uh, to keep um, the theme going of having uh, Gwen here. And that is 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation. Um, <laughs> it was put out by the American Society for Psychological Research. Um, it's edited by Ian Stevenson, who's a doctor writer. Ghost. He's a doctor. Ghost. Yeah, He's a we've doctor. not our first visitation from this book oh, writer. <laughs> uh, it was first shelved in the Walnut Creek Library, October of 1969. It has not been back since at least 1969. <laughs> um, the other book I would suggest is a fantastic novel called Why Did I Ever by Mary Robeson. Um, it was out of print for many, many years, and then uh, Counterpoint Press put out a great new edition of it um, maybe two or three years ago. Mae Robeson, if you're not familiar with her, she's sort of a contemporary of minimalists like Amy Hempel, um, and the book is essentially what seems like disconnected sentences broken up with asterisks for 200 pages that essentially is the de-evolution of a woman's mind. Um, and the main character is a screenwriter and she's living in the woods and she's trying to write a screenplay. And so it's also about writing itself and the process of writing and the madness that goes along with it. Um, so a lot of things I'm really into, um, <laughs> but it's also extraordinarily funny. And when, if you listen to the show a lot, we, we've reviewed a couple books by Jenny Ophel and that style that the Jenny Ophel has turned into bestsellers comes directly from Mary Robeson. And you see this sort of fragmentary style a lot now in contemporary fiction. It used to be considered sort of um, unusual or postmodern, and now it's just, you know, sort of how online writing goes too, where people are writing in mosaics, essentially. And Mary Robeson essentially created that. And so I would pick Why Did I Ever? It's a great book, fantastic. And the, the reprint edition has a beautiful cover on top of that. Great. Wow. Um, thank you so much for a great question. Please give her a round of applause. All I right. Gwen has one. She wants to. Oh my suggest. gosh. Great. Please. No. Um, there is a current book out right now called All Boys. I wanted to make sure I got it right. All Boys Aren't Blue. Have you guys heard of this book? No. Oh my gosh. It's so good. And it's, I, I think it's going to wind up being one of the most challenged books of 2022. Um, it's a book of essays by a queer black man. Um, it is so beautifully written. It is just an incredible book. And I think it's, it's really going to be like in the lists of things in history that get banned all the time. So highly recommend that one. Yay. Thanks Gwen. Thank you. Okay. I think we're ready for another question. I can't see. So if you have the mic, just start talking. <laughs> yeah. Over here. Yeah. Yay. Um, so I so I was wondering what is on, if anything, is on your to be read shelf that oh you're God. sort of avoiding. Like oh. you're putting it off. 
like maybe it's going to be too much of a too too much work or it's going to make you cry too much or what do you kind of, what are you kind of avoiding this on your to be red shelf oh, well i just want to say that i had like a got reaction because i don't have a to be red shelf like my house is filling <laughs> to the brim with books and my husband Greg is like um what are we do we have to move um <laughs> uh, I I am not exaggerating I probably have a thousand books yes. in my house that are my TBR yeah um so it is <laughs> it's a waking nightmare um and I don't yeah I that's, it's really tough. You know what I have that I am actually embarrassed to admit that I haven't read yet um, is Cast. Um, that is seriously, um, it's been sitting there on my nightstand and I'm like, I really wanna read this, but it's, it's less that I'm avoiding it and more that I'm like saving it because um, I know how good it's gonna be. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like I avoid, it's just like complete, ADD. It's like, well, today I'm in a murder mystery and tomorrow I'm going to read this book. I was telling writer, I'm now reading a book about the history of wolf reintroduction in Yellowstone. Um, and they're all like open everywhere in my house. And, yeah. and then the worst part is, is that now my daughter's who's only four is the same. She has so many fucking books. Um, so yeah, I just feel like I, I have to read the books before they collapse on me. And that's how I die. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. It's yeah. hard to pick one. I'm so overwhelmed. Like, it's just it's so intimidating. And I keep buying new ones. Like, that's the problem. They just keep adding up. Um, I bought, uh, is it Viet Ten, The mm. Committed? The and then the second Viet one. Win. Yeah. Yeah, I bought them in the wrong order. So that one's been sitting there. So which one should I read first? The sympathizer. Sympathizer. All right. I have the committed and I've been, so that one's intimidating me because I'm like, no, I can't do that yet. I have to read the sympathizer first. So I have to go get the sympathizer. So that one's haunting me that I'm looking at. I'm like, oh, I should start that. No, I can't. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I have so many books. It's so awful. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm adding shelves to my house right now. <laughs> I have, I've met with a, a shelf guy. <laughs> not a joke. We've had three meetings. Why do you need so many Okay, things? okay, because, because I want a library. Like, so I have like one bookshelf. I have a series of bookshelves that I bought and like put against the wall. And, and then... I need more, more. I have like books in my, uh, in my garage. And so I've met with this guy three times and I'm like, well, we should just do this. And, and then he comes back and, and I'm like, well, actually maybe we could go over the window and under the window and we could do Ooh, the so that. So nice the project has now expanded to, I am building an entire like library out of one room of my house. And I'm just like, yeah, I should just do this. I just need yeah. to commit. But mm -hmm. you know, you, you're always like, I have this like dream someday of like an entire house that's a library. So like the idea of, com you know, converting my house now into like, I don't know, I, I just got to get over it. Wait, and, like, you want do a it. library house? No, you know what I mean? Like, okay. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> like the, I, okay, like right now my house is, you know, it's not very big, but I, I you know, I, I share it with my wife and my child. So the idea of taking over for my books feels very invasive. I like that you say like, you share it with your wife and your child. Yeah. 
So I feel very bad being like, oh, could we move your piano to another room so I can make this my library? So I keep having this fantasy that like someday we'll have another house or like a bigger house where I can just have a library wing and it won't be an issue. It's never gonna happen, guys. Like, uh, I am definitely imagining a whole mm. Beauty and the Beast. Yes. You're the Beast. <laughs> You're very grouchy. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, here's my library. I just want to, I just want a, a ladder at some point. You know, it doesn't yes. have to like, serve a purpose, but I just want like a ladder. And the I ladder and, and the, like, and the light, the light in the shelves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I don't even consider the rest of my family when I think about my. <laughs> okay. Your turn, Todd. Oh, um. So are you, are you guys familiar with the 33 and a third series of books where a writer writes a very slim book about a favorite record album? Yeah. So I own all of them. I've read two of them. Oh, no. <laughs> I just keep buying every single one that comes out. And I'll be like, oh, I'm going to read these. They're like 80 pages long. I'm going to read these. I've got like 40 of them. And they just are, they're stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. And, and now it just feels like a thing where I'm never, ever going to have time to read them. And I should just listen to the record albums and make my own opinions. Wow. So that's sort of what I'm putting off. Okay. Another great question. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And um, I have a library in my house, by the way. Yeah. FYI. Yeah, we know. Just, it's over there. Awesome. I had a friend tell me that she would never help me move again because I live on a third floor walk up. Um, there comes and a time like, where you don't have friends help you move. Like you just pay yeah. some food for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but she was like, you have less books now than you did then, right? And I was like, no. No, <laughs> it keeps growing. Probably twice as many. But this is the problem with having a podcast about books is we all, the three of us, every single day get books in the mail. Like sometimes four or five books in the mail. Yeah. And you don't yeah. want to throw them away. Never. Because you're going to read them mm -hmm. when you're safe in heaven dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to another question. Do you have a favorite podcast episode or a favorite memory from making a podcast? Oh, that's really nice. I definitely have a favorite episode and it's recent, um, which is, we've already referenced it. Um, we had George Saunders on the podcast. And if you haven't listened to the podcast, like that makes it sound like we often have celebrity guests, but he's the only one. <laughs> um, and he was, I was just saying this to a friend yesterday, like he is the best person. I mean, it's, it's really gushy to say, but he's one of the best writers ever and then he's also the best person like is that possible does that happen yeah. um and he was so kind to us yeah um and so that was just so fun to do and i feel like i didn't even put it on my facebook but i was just like wow that was one of the highest points of my life but i didn't tell anyone about it <laughs> um, so for me that's really high up and then another one you know like the early episodes where we read some really silly things like i remember um the Hardy Boys episode was so fun. And our second episode ever was Sweet Valley High, which Todd and Ryder probably regret inviting me to do the podcast <laughs> when I made them read that book. 
um, Sweet Valley High number one. Um, so that, you know, we just have a lot of fun um, reading a wide variety of stuff. So yeah, many favorites. I will tell you that we almost never go back and listen to the podcast. Um, so when we do happen to do that, we're very surprised at what we sound like and what we said. <laughs> um, how about you, Todd? Do you have a favorite? Well, <laughs> yes. Um, the, the thing that I think I've never laughed harder in my life during the um, Hardy Boys episode when Ryder did the voice of Hobo Joe or whatever it is. (laughs) Just thinking about it now makes me giggle so bad. And in the episode, the three of us are laughing so hard (laughs) that it's actually fairly amusing just to hear us lose it completely on on the show. so that's like my, that's one of my favorite memories because it's like one of the times I've laughed hardest in my life. Yeah. Um, but I would say probably my favorite was when we had all the kids on to read Columbine. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was there with the kids. And so it was me and these three high school students who were just so smart and interesting and had no knowledge of Columbine at all. Yeah. And we had them read the book and had them respond to it and talk about it. And there had just been, I guess, Parkland had just happened, which is why we had them read it. Um, and I, I felt like I learned a lot about, um, about kids that day, but also about growing up in, um, in fear, growing up afraid that that weird kid is going to bring a gun in and kill you one day. Um, and that was so cool. And particularly because one of the kids was, the child of someone I had gone to high school with. And so she was talking and I was seeing the, this young woman who, you know, was this girl that I grew up with basically. Like I saw this myself with, with this person. Um, and so that was cool. But I also, I felt like that was, that was a time where we used the podcast for something larger than just entertainment that um, the, the people could use it for something for good. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I have a specific one, but I definitely agree that like reading children's literature has been the most fun. Like when we mm-hmm. revisit uh, Flowers in the Attic, right. Choose Your Own Adventure, Hardy Boys, Sweet Valley Eye, that's been like the most sort of like, what is going on? And we, we end up sort of, I, I don't, it's just such a clear lens for us to sort of look back and say, what was, what was happening when we first read this? What is happening when children read this? Uh, I don't know, that, that gives a very clear perspective that I think is super fun. Um, yeah, uh, and then I feel like, I feel like there've been multiple episodes where we've cried reading poems and discussing stuff. Uh, And yeah, like, I just love, um, yeah, I just love how emotional this podcast has made me both laughing, you know, maniacally at uh, Hardy Boys or whatever. And then, yeah, just really uh, like, you know, there's something about podcasting that is, um, uh, you know, it's it's a very intimate form, Uh, you know, somebody's in your ear if you're listening on headphones or you're whatever and but it's also like for us like we've often recorded like at night or like in the middle of the day and then we like find ourselves the three of us alone talking about a book when like all and everything gets put on hold and it's just the three of us and it feels like we're back in grad school yeah 
two in the morning and uh, we care so much about this. And uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's really wonderful to think that people are also a, a part of that conversation and like mm -hmm. with us. Um, it's very, I don't know, like I, I just, I love this podcast and I love how, how like if somebody tells me like, I listen to literary disco, I'm like, Oh my God, then you get it. Like we're, 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 we're part of each other's tribe in some way. Like that really, it, it really feels like that. Um, uh, there's something about, you know, we've been doing, we did Google Hangouts. Now we're doing Zoom, uh, but you know, we're like looking at each other and we're having this conversation, the three of us for 10 years now. Like it's just gone on a long time. And we have all these like in jokes and references and it just feels really um, special. So um, that just became like a cheesy- uh, That's really yeah. nice. But yeah, in general, like it, it, it feels more intimate that it's like we have this like expanded reading, you know, because reading is very lonely. Writing is very lonely. I feel like often you're you're sitting there either reading something or you know pounding your head against a wall trying to write something. So to feel like the sense of expanded community around literature is really nice. And in general, yeah, I I just love it. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for giving us the opportunity to. Gosh. Yeah. Um, I think we have time for maybe one more, or two if the second to last is weird. <laughs> um, Allie? I'm right here. Okay, does anyone have one? Or I don't we... see any hands. Okay. I have a dumb question if okay. no one else has Let's a question. Let's do it. Let's do it. I love a dumb question. All right. So uh, at one point about 10 years ago, I read a book that I was too ashamed for people to see that I was reading. Okay, great. So I put a literary textbook jacket over the outside. <laughs> okay, yeah. Awesome. So this is a two-parter. Have you ever had a book that you didn't want anyone to know you read? And then <laughs> two, what book jacket would you use so that no one would question what you're reading? Oh my God, I can answer this in one second. This is a part of my day-to-day -day life. Um, <laughs> when my husband is reading books to my daughter at bedtime, I'm in the room, but I'm often reading like garbage, like, like a romance novel or something crazy, but I don't want him to think that I'm not like part of the family moment. So I'll put a parenting book. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. That's a therapy appointment. Um, <laughs> I do this often. Isn't Greg there right now? He thinks you're like a parenting book expert. Well, and then I also read them. So like, you gotta be smart about it. That's the thing, <laughs> okay? You gotta keep your story straight. So it's like, you know, I'm reading. <laughs> I mean, the parenting books are good too, but then I'm like, mm, let me see what's going on in red, white, and royal blue. <laughs> Um, which is like a gay romance novel that I've, but I've been taking like seven months to read this because I have to read it in between like how to raise a <laughs> socially aware teen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun to do. You know, you gotta keep your private life. I like when no one knows what I'm doing, which is actually a pretty rare occurrence now, you know, like we all know what each other's doing most of the time. So to have, you know, your own little secrets, even if they don't matter at all, um, it's pretty fun. Hmm. I talked about this on the podcast, but I was reading, we, we were doing the Nancy Drew episode oh, while right. I was doing jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> I was so like that guy. <laughs> reading Nancy Drew and I was like can I do this is this okay and I definitely like made my arms big enough to like cover what I was reading 
but we had like the episode the next day and that was like uh, and I, it was the first time I really felt embarrassed uh and I shouldn't have whatever uh usually I'm like yeah whatever yeah. no but it's not just like a guy reading Nancy Drew it's like I know how to solve a case <laughs> Butler did it <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's so awful. It's so awful. I should have just, yeah. I should have just carried it around. Oh, yeah. How about you, Todd? You know, the, the last time that I can remember being embarrassed about reading a book in public was for the show. And I was flying somewhere and we were to read Flowers in the Attic. And so I'm on a plane and I'm you know, 47 years old or whatever, reading Flowers in the Attic. And I was like, why didn't I get the audiobook or the Kindle edition or something? And I'm just reading it, and everyone that walked by would be like, I read that book. I read that book. Oh my God, the scissors. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You've never read it? You've never read it? And I was like, oh, you know. And this is one of these situations. I have a lie that I often do. Um, like, there was one time a guy threw some garbage in our backyard, and I said, I got kids. I can't have you throwing garbage in my backyard. I don't, I don't, I don't have any kids. And so <laughs> I was reading flowers in the attic. I was like, well, you know, for my daughter, got to know what's in it. <laughs> A monster. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. Well, actually, Ali, I think that was a perfect last question. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Um, wow. Uh, this was so much fun. Um, thank you, Ryder. Give him a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you, Todd, for zooming in from California. Yeah. Todd, absolutely, even if he was physically here when he saw the hail coming down this morning, would have gotten on the plane back home anyway. <laughs> Very scared of frozen ice. <laughs> uh, our podcast. <laughs> Who says frozen ice? Oh, I thought it would just slide by. <laughs> now you know you've never spent any time in New England. Wow, the ice is really frozen Awfully today. cold, this ice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, our podcast can be found on Lit Hub now. Um, so go find us there and wow, tell all your friends about it because we want to keep doing it. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank You've been a you. great audience. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. You. Bye, Todd. I'm I'm turning Bye, you Todd. off. Oh, that must have felt so good. <laughs> I can still hear you. Bye. Bye. <laughs>